Uh oh. What ho, what ho? No, we're not. Are we live? Oh, that's weird. I, think so. I guess LinkedIn, well, I got an error message from StreamYard. So LinkedIn was uh, not cooperating. It's probably my connection here because I'm having issues with Telegram. I mean, with Twitter today, too. So anyway, what's happening, buddy? We were out yesterday. I was getting, uh, we have a, an upstairs shower in our master bath bedroom that um, was having some tile issues and some leakage issues. And so we, uh, I had uh, people working in chaos here yesterday. So I just thought it was stupid to try to do the show in the midst of all that chaos. So, uh, but the uh, shower is now fixed. So we're good. Bravo. Yeah. It looks nice. They did a good, they did good work. If anybody in Miami needs a tile guy, let me know. Message me. I got you. I got you to man. Santiago. He's got to Santiago. work down his tab. He's got to work down his tab at their place. So <laughs> still message Brad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm going to take it's our new glorious... show sponsor, Santiago <laughs> Filing. <laughs> I'm going to take that glorious referral commission. Just tell uh, them we set up an info at Santiago at whatever.com. And then anybody who messages that we get a kick, when we get a commission from uh, a Santiago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, ETH is blowing up. I know. I know. It is Looking beautiful. Good, man. Looking fucking great. 1736. Like, whew. Everything's looking great, you know. But for the last I mean, week, it's like way outpaced Bitcoin, hasn't it? Last couple I of weeks. I think so. Yeah. Seven days, 13.77%. For 30 days, 45%. And then um, Bitcoin... At uh, 5% for seven days and 15%. I mean, ETH is blowing the doors off. Just, I mean, you know, you know, I love Bitcoin, but I like seeing the smart contracts flourishing. So, yeah, um, no, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm super happy for this too, of course. I mean, yeah, look, this goes back into above 2000. I mean, I just see the enthusiasm picking up in all the channels. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the doubt is receding a bit. So, you know, when you get that enthusiasm, people commit money back into the markets. A lot of people are on the sidelines and stables. Yeah. Um, you know, in a lot of the chats I'm in, just waiting. I mean, they're doing selective DCAing and, you know, what they see as unique opportunities. But for the big ones, you know, they've been kind of like holding, trying to see, get confirmation on this. And when it moves from 900 to 1700 while you're waiting for confirmation, it tends to start creating that good old FOMO activity so I, I think we could be on the start of something nice here i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful i mean considering the fact that um you know yesterday we had the rate hike but then this morning um we had our i think i haven't actually looked at it but i think we had our technical uh re, uh, uh recession confirmation of course the biden administration tried to redefine recessions this week which is uh hysterical and just stupid strategically but um uh, well, look, I, I'll touch on that one, too. I don't think that there is a uh, in an aberration market like we're in where there's so much liquidity that's been pumped in. I mean, I was looking at the charts on the Treasury balance sheet and it was like four trillion pumped in in the pandemic, which doubled it. So right. I think it's very hard to say to say that we're in a recession just because I think that measurement tool is not accurate in this market. So well, but every, but half the people you talk to, nobody even knows what a recession is. Everybody goes, oh, recession bad. But, you know, go on the street to the sidewalk and talk to somebody and see, but see if somebody can explain it to you. 
Yeah, but there's a it. mental there's a mental thing that goes along with it. That's why I think they were trying to come out front on it um, and try to keep it from becoming. Because when people hear the word recession, they just think bad. They don't know what the fuck it means, but they think bad. And so I think right. they're trying to prevent kind of the mental switch, um, um, you know, off. The interesting thing was one of the things that they're claiming uh, for why it isn't, and I'm trying to find this. I wish I had saved it. Um, uh, they were trying to claim kind of the job creation stuff, but somebody pointed out in the last three or two, three major recession moves, there was positive job growth just prior to it happening. So um, anyway, look, I don't think personally that we're at a place where um, we're 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 in the dumps. You know what I mean? I, I think the number, all the other numbers are like really pretty good. And I agree with you, but I think they're trying to get out ahead of kind of the mentality of it. But at the end of the day, all it does is make them look bad. I, I just think it was not a smart thing to do to go kind of try to change the um, current definition in most people's well, minds of a recession. Just a test here, Brad, what recession. is the definition of recession? Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP after all revisions. So what we haven't sure. seen yet. So when I look at the charts right now, I see, you know, it depends. Wall Street Journal says the economy didn't contract last quarter. New York Times says it did. I don't know who's yeah. right. Yeah, I kind of go with the Wall Street Journal on that one myself. But the point is that there'll be revisions. And even if it was that number that New York Times is reporting, it's like less than it was in the first quarter. So, you know, it's not like this is where you tip into the recession. The question is, are we already in it or not? And yeah. if we are, I'm, I'm glad we are, because that's what sort of means people aren't spending. You look at the Walmart sales number from a couple of days ago when their stocks sold off. It's because consumer spending in Walmarts is down like some. I mean, I'm just going to try to remember, but I think it was 13 percent. So that shows that it's already having an effect. And that's yeah. why the Fed yesterday said, look. And we only did 75 bips. A lot of people thought it was going to be 100 or 125. And we're kind of thinking about going on pause here shortly because they're seeing the good data. And now they don't want to tip it into full-blown contraction. Right. Um, so, but I agree. You know, there's, it's hard when words are used to mean certain emotive things that aren't really uh, a rational answer. It's like people hear inflation and they go, oh, bad. People hear recession and they go, oh, bad. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole key is not to have both at the same time. And I think that's the real, that's the, the real fear here. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I agree. It's hard to change definitions on the fly. Sean made a good point back on the BTC ETH thing. He said, uh, same percentage down from the top BTC and ETH. And he said, be very careful here. You know, and there are a lot of folks that thinks we think we're still going to have, uh, uh, a big dump downward uh, at some point yeah. here, but Sean's correct in that it's the same percentage down from the top. I, you know, I get it, but I, I do love seeing, um, I love seeing this uh, ETH excitement over the merge. And um, I think it bodes well for the long term. So uh, long term, I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed and look, you know, more dump people's more discounted prices on Bitcoin and ETH. So, yeah, well, uh, I would like to see, I mean, I get that off the top, you know, off to what, 68 and the 5,000, I guess, yeah. 69. So yeah. what I'd like to see is what it looks like off the bottom. 
you know, the chart yeah. comes because I see more capital going into ETH right now, or they would be scaling at the same percentages and, and they're not yeah. right now. So, um, although, you know, that being said, this is kind of more subtle. Um, I was looking at some charts in one chat this morning that was laying S&P 500, NASDAQ 100 on top of BTC and ETH and, and the dollar index. And it's amazing how correlated everything is. Yeah. So, you know, I think like to the to Sean's point that you might get these like moves where everybody's like anticipating on the September 19th merge date and you see capital going in for that kind of strategic event. But then it rotates back the other way to BTC or other capital rotates in. So it kind of goes, you know, up and down and up and down. Um, but I do love the enthusiasm, too. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, real quick, uh, since we had a message from Sean, uh, I listened to this great uh, interview yesterday between um, uh, Peter and, and Udi on uh, what Bitcoin did. Uh, that's his show. Um, and it was about the role of Bitcoin maximalism. And it was a, a really thoughtful, thoughtful discussion. I'll put a link in the show notes to it um, about maximalism. Both of them um, Peter at times has called himself a maximalist, but is shying away from it because of kind of the general attitude culturally um, and you, you, in in that space. Um, but both of them had an intelligent conversation about it. You know, both of them love Bitcoin. They're they're Bitcoiners. Um, but both of them also talked a lot about, um, you know, how silly it is that that. Um, having a token is something that makes people call it a scam and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, great interview. I, I encourage everybody to take a listen to it because I thought it was really thoughtfully done. I'm sure there are enraged uh, Bitcoin maxis everywhere screaming at Peter about what a trader he is, which they do every time he has a, a conversation about this. But uh, really good, great interview, lots of great insights. So encourage everybody to take a look at that. Yeah, you know, I saw a good article in New Yorker magazine a couple of days ago on Celsius. I'd recommend it. it was a great write up there. And if on all of it, which is, you know, there's interesting points to be made to your point about like, Oh, a token scam, you know, and you see how different people have different perspectives, but I recommend everybody Google that up and read it. New Yorker magazine Celsius. Um, Cause it has a lot of good content in there about cool. the space. Send me the link if you can. Yeah. I'll put it in the channel. Cool. Uh, Sean also said, "Thank you." He thinks you will get to buy ETH between five hundred and six hundred dollars. Um, and then he said, "One hundred percent, Joe. <laughs> everything is the same trade now." And that that actually brings up something else. You know, I talked a lot about, and, and everybody talked a lot about the fact that um, uh, Bitcoin, um, you know, was going to be this big hedge against inflation. Um, with the current correlation, I don't think we can really go there anymore. Uh, currently, short term, maybe long term. I think it's, you know, I think that's the goal. Um, and I haven't looked at gold's behavior. Oh, I mean, that's the goal for Bitcoin to be that anti-inflation thing. But and I haven't looked at gold, G-O-L-D in a while, who's the, which is a traditional anti-inflation play. I'd like to kind of curious how that's behaving in the last couple of months. Um, but I don't think I think Bitcoin long term, medium long term is that anti-inflation play and i think it beats gold because of its portability so yeah so to me I yeah mean, the portability looks, is definitely a factor yeah um so i don't look at it like right now look they're all just correlated we want them to 
decorrelate, I guess. And we do see decorrelation when we get those nice cycles of the blow off top in BTC and then the cascade down through ETH into alts and then back out. I mean, right now, I think the market just, you know, as he pointed out or as Sean pointed out, it's all the same right now, the same trade. So right. you're not getting those disconnects as much. Um, so, but, but, you know, like I went in and put some more money in the Geist FTM pool. First time I've been in a pool in a while, 90% interest. I'm like, who cares? You know, you got to go look for stuff that you think might survive or will survive long-term now that you're trading in or just trade the names and don't worry about what they do. Yeah. You know, but that's two different things, two different approaches. So you have to, you know, compartment it in your head. So you don't contaminate each strategy. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. So a little bit of politics, but I'm going to, I have a tie to crypto. So I'm going to talk about it. Uh, my man, uh, Andrew Yang and the forward party, mm -hmm. the forward party is merging with uh, two other third parties, uh, Sam and what's the other one? I forgot what the other one was called. Uh, la, 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 la. Renew America and Sam, um, both started by Republicans and has brought in, and they're merging into the forward party. And they he's brought in Christine Todd Whitman, the former governor of New Jersey, as his co-chair. Republican former governor of New Jersey is his co-chair. The entire point of this is centrist-focused um, and to break up the duopoly. So I'm actually pretty excited about this. They have more money in the bank uh, than any third party uh, in the country today. Um, their plan is to um, go, you know, all 50 on ballots uh, by next year in 30 states, all 50 states prior to the 2024 election cycle. Um, they already have some endorsed candidates in Congress, in congressional and gubernatorial elections uh, for this year, some libertarians, some Democrats, some Republicans. Um, the entire goal of this is kind of this centrist, pragmatic approach to governing. 62% of Americans, I apologize to my foreign uh, our foreign listeners, 62% of Americans want another party and they want out of the system we have now. And so they're going to be focused a lot on election reform, ranked choice voting, voting, et cetera. But the other thing they'll be focused on is crypto um, and uh, less regulation of it. Uh, and I interviewed uh, Andrew uh, for Mission DeFi, and we talked about his um, cryptocurrency uh, lobbying, DeFi lobbying called Lobby 3D. So go check out that episode um, if you want to kind of hear and understand what they're doing to educate and lobby members of Congress to try to have a more hands-off approach to DeFi and uh, crypto. So um, anyway, that's uh, that's that. Look, yeah, um, two things. One, crypto is... This is a, I hate to use these words, but it's a national security technology. This is key to competitiveness for the next hundred years for all the major economies. You do not want to be left behind on this. Um, I yep. think you want to lead it. So I applaud these efforts by these lobbying groups. And I particularly like this political party. Honestly, I was totally blindsided. I hadn't heard of that at all um, because it's drawing equally from Republicans and Democrats. Why this stuff always stalls out is because you get like the greens will pop up and, you know, it's all going to be leftist progressives, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's, that might be a misnomer, but they're all going to be toward the left and it's going to take votes away from the Democratic Party. And then, you know, some Republican candidate gets in because of that 
Uh, you know, it happened in the past. That's how Clinton got in when Ross Pro did his thing. So exactly. it goes both ways. So when you have equal, I'm getting it when it goes when it's one, then the party and everybody, the centrists kind of go, wait, I don't know if I want to do that. But if it's coming from both sides and then the centrists just claim the middle, yeah. um, you know, that works for both parties too. And it gives us what we want. We kind of could get a, I mean, I don't want to call it like a kingmaker party, but it will have that. You won't be able to form a ruling government without that party's involvement. Um, yeah. And it moves us more toward parliamentary type uh, coalition building um, houses and Senate and Congress, you know, which is a good thing. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I, I a lot this. of a lot on the left yesterday were screaming and yelling that it's going to take votes away from Biden. They're going to put Trump in office, blah, blah, blah. Here's the interesting thing about Yang during the campaign. And the reason one of the reasons I supported him was his support was extreme left all the way to the most hardcore right wing Trumpers. Like yeah. it was extreme ends of the spectrum. And the reason was not from a political ideology lineup, but from a pro pragmatic solution lineup. And there were tons of people that were supporting him that didn't even support UBI because all of his proposals for solving problems were actually pragmatic rather than ideological. And the data, so all these people freaking out were like, you know, there's no way Yang's going to take party votes away. This 42%, this was, uh, the question was, will you vote for Democratic nominee? This was mm -hmm. during the last presidential, if it is not your candidate. 42% of Yang supporters said they would not. The reason is, is those were Trump supporters that came over to Yang to vote in the Democratic primary. So this effort is got a huge potential, as you said, for Republicans and Democrats on both sides to fracture up the two-party system and to actually gain real votes and have a potential leg. They haven't even announced that they're going to nominate a presidential candidate yet, and they may not. But if they do, if it's Yang, if it's Whitman, if it's Yang Whitman, if it's whomever else it might be, um, this has this has a ton of potential uh, to make a dramatic difference uh, in the U.S. political system, which obviously there's an impact um, worldwide with American politics, especially as it relates to the U.S. dollar. So uh, really interesting stuff. Um, anyway, I encourage everyone to check it out, take a look, see what they're doing. If you're an American and you're interested in kind of changing the system, uh, that's my last little bit of political plug today. Well, you can see that, you know, look, the Sandinistas were one thing, you know, with Bernie and a lot of them, you know, defected to, uh, you know, become Trump. Trumpers, um, economic populist in the general election in 20, whatever it was, 2016. Yep. Um, but Yang, I'm surprised. I, I guess it's because there's more liberty, his crypto positions pull in more libertarian. Well, uh, it was, people are it, true believers. It was, it was, well, I will tell you the hook that got a ton of Trumpers into his campaign was UBI. Um, but that word, that word of mouth from Trumpers went out to other people on the Republican and the far right side. And they came in and he had 110 detailed, like pragmatic problem solving policies in his website. Like I mean, yeah. a level of detail that I've never seen in any political campaign before. I, I find that I find that super interesting for one reason, just because, you know, one of the big, you know, problem with the grieved politics, you know, the, as I call the groups that's been left behind, is they rail on everybody else for, you know, government and the administrative nanny state. Um, and they, were, you know, think that they're all self-sufficient Marlboro men. But here what we see is going on is they're all flocked to Andrew Yang because of all of his social policies on his website. 
<laughs> and I find that incredibly encouraging. Yeah. Um, that well, kind of people are starting to realize that you don't have to stand out here on a rock alone in the desert and, you know, bang a pan on your head. There's help out there for you. And you're not weaker for going in and taking advantage of the platform that you live in. So yeah. I'm glad to see that. Well, and the, the cool thing was, was look, I, I started my career in politics. I managed political campaigns for the first eight years of my professional career. And I have been actively engaged and involved in politics ever since, which is a very long time. Um, and I have never in my entire life, amongst the thousands of people that I watched and interacted with during the Yang campaign, have ever seen a group of supporters more deeply to the detail level engaged on policy discussions than I saw during that campaign. Though everyone went through and read the actual solutions to problems that he was proposing. And look, he was aggressively pro-nuclear. He was a he he was not like left progressive. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that was based on eliminating um, existing, you know, bureaucracy and crap. And simplifying things, which even UBI was. UBI was let's give them a check instead of making them jump through fucking hoops or or not have a or not get a job because they can't qualify for welfare, right? I mean, there's all kinds of. Anyway, I don't want to spend the whole show on this, but um, I'm I'm very encouraged about this. I'm excited that these parties are unifying. I'm exciting that Republicans and Democrats are going to lead this effort. I think it's a good thing for American politics. So anyway, well, the, the proof is in the pudding. Now go fucking execute. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what they have to do. And so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, back to crypto DeFi. Phantom community has decided to use the burn fee to fund ecosystem projects. So they are going to take, I believe it was a unanimous, like 99.75% positive votes for this policy. It wasn't just a couple of whales voting for it. Um, the vote ended early because they hit 55% quorum. They're going to take uh, tip, currently, they burn 30% of all transaction fees that come into the protocol. They are going to take 10% of that burn and put it into funding projects in the protocol, which I think is a really good way to do it. They still retain a 20% burn rate. And now the 10% is going to go into supporting and building and growing the ecosystem. Um, and so I'm really glad to see, um, to see this pass. This is, this is good shit. Yeah, I mean, we're all Phantom fans. I was in there. Sorry, I'm on open mic. And if anybody hears any background noise, some environmentals happening. But, um, you know, uh, I was in there digging around, looking at Spirit and Spooky and just in general what's going on in Phantom. And there's a lot of, I mean, look, transaction fees, it's like less than a third of a cent, you know, or less than yeah. a penny in there. I mean, this network is primed. This layer one is primed. I bought more today. I guess that's what I'm getting at. All right. All right. Pump it, Joe. Anyway, that's great. Not news. like I didn't go in and buy 20 million. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, it's great news. But on this note of a community vote, um, I put out a tweet yesterday uh, apologizing to the community of uh, Lido, Lido, however you pronounce it, um, because uh, after my little rant the other day about uh, some DAOs needing some republic structures or, 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 adult supervision, I discovered that the reason that the uh, vote to sell uh, part of the treasury of their token to uh, investors, to VCs, Dragonfly Capital, was because there was no vesting period on the buy. So 
that's the reason it failed. Uh, I should have dove a little deeper into that uh, than mm -hmm. the five minutes before the show started to uh, understand why that vote was failing. Um, I since saw an article yesterday saying that that's why that vote failed, and that's smart. Um, and so now there's a new vote being put up for a one year with a one year vesting period uh, for Dragonfly to be able to sell those tokens. So um, oh. now I think that Dragonfly is smart enough not to dump all that at once anyway. And this is a longer term investment they're making. But, um, you know, uh, I have to give credit to the community for saying, wait a minute, uh, let's put in the controls on this thing just to be safe. Yeah, thanks for fact-checking, you know, Brad's fake news. Nobody um, fact-checked me. I fact-checked myself. <laughs> now, look, we pull information on the fly here. So, obviously, we can't hit every bit of in-depth nuance on that. But vesting, yeah, that's that's pretty key on that one. So, I mean, it's good to the community for picking up on that, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A uh, couple of things. Euphoric said the British left and right political paradigm is in desperate need for reform for many of the same reasons. Uh, yeah, but I will tell you that what we need is we just need more parties to be able to, to break up the power in Congress. Um, if we just had, I mean, you look at it today, one Democratic congressman, senator has held hostage any passing of bills in the in the Senate. And if we had, you know, 20 or 15 or 10 represented by other parties in Congress um, that could force compromise, we'd probably get a lot further along. Niblet said, uh, I'm worried the hate and fear that is the GOP brand will prevent more of them from peeling off in the booth. I, I think there are enough um, moderates quietly who voted GOP in the past who are, are available and out there uh, to move into the party. And I will tell you that um, I was thoroughly shocked by Andrew Yang's ability to talk to the far right. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, um, let's jump on that one for a second. Yeah, go here. ahead. Um, the, you know, the hardcore sort of economic populist part of the Republican Party is, is I believe, about 30% of the electorate, which I think would make it about two-thirds of the, of the party. So yep. one third of the Republican Party are, are people that vote on party ID or party loyalty, but don't necessarily agree with the policies right. um, or at least the way it's spoken about and referenced. And, you know, that red meat kind of polit political messaging, they disagree with that. Um, and I think that they're open to, you know, cross party voting, uh, voting for independence, you know, building coalitions. And I think yeah. that's, you know, you see it with like the Liz Cheney's and the, you know, the ones that will stand up to it. Um, you know, I, I can make the call right now. I could see Liz Cheney running for president on the Republican ticket within two election cycles. Um, oh, yeah. I think that it shifts back because, I mean, I think the same thing could happen. This 30 percent of the electorate could peel off and do its own party um, because they don't really think they're Republicans because they hate Reagan, too. So, yeah. you know, you can't hate Reagan and be a Republican. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. So well, they might yeah. form their own party, too. And then we get four going. I mean, that's what I'm kind of I mean, I don't like the far right messaging. I, I think it's kind of um, um, dangerous, but I get the grievance, perhaps, but maybe from the economic standpoint, but I, I just don't like pointing at everybody else and blaming everybody else for your problems. Well, this um, is why I, I advocate for ranked choice voting because that yeah, fractures things out. It makes it a level playing field for any candidate running. It makes it so that voters don't have to pick one over the other. They can rank their votes for different candidates and give the opportunity for candidates that might not see the, 
the light of day to actually win elections. Um, hey, I, I was looking I at this site uh, called Terminal, uh, Terminal.co. This is really cool. Um, if you're thinking about investing or getting engaged with the Dow, it's basically a tool, and, and they don't have a ton of coverage yet into every Dow, but it's a tool to check the, how, the health and wellness uh, of a Dow. Everything from social member social media growth, members of the Dow, active members of the Dow, their overall they have an overall scoring system that they've uh, developed to score uh, an existing community. Their Treasury insights, what the what what they have, what the token price is, overall market cap, cap Treasury holdings. This is a really fantastic tool. I'd really like to see it. Um, uh, encompass a lot more DAOs. I'm sure it's a fairly manually intensive process right now that they're building, but it'd be really cool if they had a, if they launch or if they have an API that all DAOs could connect into, because this is, this is really powerful data for helping you make uh, longer term financial decisions. Or if you're, if you're making a decision to invest your time in a project, um, it's a great way to get a feel for how the project's doing. Uh, this is a really, Really well done tool. I'm really impressed with it. So interesting. Yeah. Shows the proposals, the voting, how many people are actively voting, how many people are creating proposals, uh, how many people have voted over time. So um, it's it's uh, it's a really good uh, a really good dashboard tool. Um, they just need to expand to more protocols, but uh, really like it a lot. Good shit. Well, you know, this is interesting because this could be an execution risk. Um, measurement analytic tool of some kind because it seems to me like the only way these DAOs work is if you have a smart active community voting intelligibly on proposals and if this is showing that I mean that's kind of like they used to have these groups I want to say like was it the advisory board or the shareholder board or something there were these groups that would go around and rate public company management teams I'm sure they're still around I just haven't looked at it in a long time and you would use that in your analysis of whether or not you're going to take a position um, based upon how that management team was scored, particularly uh, vis-a-vis its competition. So this right. type of thing, you know, you're looking at these dials, you could just like we look at other metrics, like what was it, uh, market cap to TVL, for instance, in the DeFi space, the protocol space. This would be something to add into that, um, yeah. however they score as another measurement indicator. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, there's a new um, protocol that's, I guess, launching soon. I've climbed into some of their Medium documents. Um, the way they, the way they talk about it is interesting. Anyway, it's called Faro Protocol. Protocol. It's Faro.fi. Uh, P-H-A-R-A-O-H, um, and they call themselves the modern way to trade a- ancient assets. Essentially, it is a synthetics-based commodities and forex exchange, um, which you know um, kind of ties into what you know, Gaines is doing and GMX, which is the darling in the space who just passed uh, 50 billion in uh, uh, trading volume uh, yesterday. Um, but the idea behind it is, is, you know, you'll be able to synthetically trade all kinds of commodities, um, um, Forex. And they've also talked about doing some interesting things like um, betting and trading against global warming pace um, or other measures of kind of things in nature. So, uh, really interesting. They don't have a website yet. It's just their medium posts. Um, but, uh, the, the articles are well-written and the thoughts behind them seem to be, uh, everything seems to be well thought out. So, uh, very interesting. And, um, I, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this cause I'd like to, uh, I, I love these synthetic trading, 
protocols. Wait, so how are they, um, I mean, what, how are they ancient assets? Um, what, so commodities, gold, oil, whatever. I think they're just trying to be clever with the, with tagline. Okay. Because got it. Got it. Yeah, just, just in general commodities on the CME, I think is what they're doing. And they're probably setting up some kind of Oracle to get the pricing data from the CME and uh, maybe for other foreign exchanges. Um, but, but I think that's the whole idea is anything traded on the CME, you can come in and trade here synthetically. Yeah. Well, you better be talking to people at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you don't want to get any, I mean, that's a, this is going to be a good one, but tricky one. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to be us based if you're running that protocol, that's for sure. So, yeah. Um, no advice, obviously. This, this, this is strange to me, but I think we're going to see more of this. Um, these kind of niche-focused blockchains. This is, I mean, I get the idea behind it. I just think the effort um, to build your own blockchain around it is a bit much and not necessarily needed uh, when there are plenty of blockchains that you could uh, utilize for this. Things like you know doing a subchain on Avalanche or BNB or just putting it on Ethereum. Um, you know, there, there, there's plenty of opportunity with this, but the idea behind this new chain called Topol, who just raised 15 million, is um, to uh, allow companies to track their sustainability measures. I guess it's a way for companies to be able to reference on the blockchain that they have taken certain actions uh, around climate, around diversity, whatever, um, and have a specialized blockchain just for that purpose. I'm assuming there's a, a big need for it because um, they're developing an entire platform around it and they raised 15 million now and 3 million previously. So, and I think niche cases are going to happen more and more. I just don't know if there's a need to manage the entire infrastructure of your own blockchain for it when they're, you know, yeah. certainly something you could store um, on another chain. Maybe there are some privacy issues there. Um, and so they want to encrypt data in some way. I don't know all the details, but um, anyway. Uh, do they have the ability to, do they have the ability to trade out carbon, carbon credits like Clima? I don't or know. Um they say tracking water usage for industrial processes, confirming the cold chain for COVID-19 test kits and monitoring the global journeys of sustainable products. Yeah, it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. You should no, call it Mercury uh, Republic Asia or Cryptology Asset Group because they've all ponied up. Uh, I know. Look at that. 15 man. Million. Mercury Goose Capital and RevTech. I, honestly, I think I've heard of Mercury, but. I haven't heard any of the other ones. Um, you oh, know, wait, look, look, key customers of Topol's blockchain protocol include B Carbon, a nonprofit carbon credit. Oh, register. there you go. There you look, go. The now Joe likes it. Well, no, the more the merrier, <laughs> you know. But I'm like, why, like to Brad, to your point, Brad, why build a whole chain? You've already got a platform, uh, Clima, there that's functioning with big partnerships, like with Polygon and others. And they've got that enterprise uh, dashboard yeah. for corporates that have clients. Yeah. To me, I would figure out a way to, you know, how do you fit into that infrastructure already or m match up, move up next to it to lever what they have already pre-existing to use in your platform. But spending all the time and energy to do a new chain, yeah. um, 
And then they're really only, it seems like they're really only talking about, you know, tracking, like you said, water usage and the movement of sustainable products, the global yeah. journeys of sustainable product. I mean, I thought they were sustainable and the cold chain for COVID-19 test kits. I mean, but was this written a year and a half ago, you know, or something? I don't, I mean, does anybody want to see that in a prospectus at all or in anything right now? Does anybody yeah. want to think about COVID? No, we're sick of it, man. Yeah. Come up with a better use case. I, but, I have no idea. Uh, I can't find a website. But, you know, again, I think oh, look, we are an in, all an innovation sandbox. So the more the merrier. I just don't, I don't know if I'd be putting my money there. Um, well, they are going to release the I, token. There's going to be a private sale. Okay. Um, well, that's probably it, why you do a chain. Just well, it doesn't have you to. can it do it as sense. a protocol too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe they, maybe, maybe from the perspective of what they're tracking and being able to certify things, they want complete and total control over the chain, so that companies, enterprises can say. I absolutely can verify and validate that we have done A, B, C, and D, either for shareholders or for government regulatory compliance or whatever. And maybe what they want is to keep it separate and pure and clean so that that reporting capability for these enterprises um, allows them to know that nothing could fuck it up. So I, that may be, maybe that's the motivation. Uh, well, you it. know, it might be more like you said too, that, you know, I think it's E&Y has that global food safety blockchain project. Yeah, it's E&Y yeah. e or KPMG. And then That's I was also e &Y, talking. Okay. And I was talking to some of the guys at um, Sentient. I don't know if anybody has ever checked out Sentient, but it's like a um, food additives, you know, like smells, flavors and smells and tastes they add to, to products. But they source a big chunk of it from indigenous peoples. Um, you know, around the world and they don't displace them. They keep those traditional uh, manufacturing processes in place. And they're, cause we're talking about how to record that on blockchains to certify it, you know, from that, that dye is coming from the tribe that makes that dye in, I don't know, Brazil, Botswana, wherever. Um, so I could see that they could piggyback into things like that. So I think what they're saying yeah. is water usage, monitoring that, and then monitoring, I guess water must be used in that cold chain COVID test process and then tracking sustainable goods around the world. Um, yep. It looks like they actually partnered already on a project with Media Sorcery Inc. They developed a solution called Cold Chain. And the idea was tracking COVID tests from manufacturer to the patient because so many COVID okay. tests were spoiled uh, during the height of the rush to get everything out. So... You know, so that's you logistics, guys, supply yeah, chain. I mean, that's good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see uh, I'm starting to be persuaded that there's a case to be made for having a separate blockchain to keep the data clean, to make it compliant. Um, you know, that level of control over what's on it and what's not might make more sense. And that may be yeah. why they went for this approach. I don't know. It makes me think of the encryption thing, you know, where they built their yeah, own chain. Exactly. Exactly. To protect their data a certain way. I mean, but I think the messaging is a little goofy on this Topol site. Like, I mean, yeah. they're really about, it sounds like water usage and supply chain issues um, because sustainable products and COVID-19 testing process, two separate things, but the tracking of it is the same. 
you know, the where is it in the process is all the same. So to me, that's, you know, I'd be talking a lot more supply chain, logistics, um, tracking, efficiencies, content, queuing theory, all of that, you know, getting better, cleaner products to market faster that also sustain third world indigenous communities, you know, yeah. pick it. But there's a, there's something here, like you said. Um, and because of the investors in the Asia focus, it sounds like it's more international investors that, so they're probably really thinking from that perspective. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, but supply again, chain management, supply chain go. management and certification methods. So blockchain as a service, traceable, transparent, secure, scalable. So then oh, take that. that you can buy solution and sell it to all these corporations. Yeah. Look at this, Five, 50 bucks a month, mid-market challengers and clients with existing platform, free access to testing net, multi-user access control, direct customer support, 100,000 daily API. Wow. So they're SaaS, they're definitely sassing this up. That's uh, okay, now it's getting more interesting, Joe. Yeah, this but isn't, this isn't uh, vaporware. Well, and they're in the US too, interesting. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to unclick him. Yeah, you're right. No. Niblet says there are dozens of medical supply chain blockchains. Nearly near all of them evaporated. Yeah, it's interesting. They've got a little bit of traction. Look, they've already got customers. So that's good. Fair food. I don't know any of these others, but, you know, it's interesting. Well, yeah. see, the thing is, there looks like there's some meat behind this. That when in the initial approach, we're first looking at it, you don't see that. Or at least yeah. I didn't see it. No, it was horribly done in terms of uh, how they sold it in that press release. But what about um? Do they have who the management team is? Oh, let's take a look. Like about us somewhere. Couple team. Yeah, let's see that. Let's see, this is managing director is named Chris Georgian. Oh, they all met at Rice University together. Mm, it's a good school. Yep. They Next started seven. in 2017. See, this is what I want to see. This stuff. I mean, but I look at stuff a different way. So here we go. I mean, this shows real team. Yeah, I guess they does. just sort of think everybody knows that. Yeah. They, you know, you get, if you've been doing it for five years, trying to grinding away at this shit. Um, yeah. Wait, there's Jackie a lot of Wynn. shit. Click on what? Jackie Wynn's bio. I think I might know her. Can you click on Jackie Wynn, the top left? Let's see it. Also, Jackie Pham. Oh, let's see. Uh, no, I don't know her. I thought it was another one. Another Jackie. Oh, they need to update the website. She's no longer with Topol. Oh. <laughs> when did she leave? Uh, Two months so ago? It was May. Yeah, that's not a good sign. No, it's not. But again, like you said, they've been around, they're growing, so it's a little bit chaotic always. Who is this? Who is this, Aaron? Chief Growth Officer. Aaron Murphy. Equity Research Summer. Dignity. Where'd she go to school? I'm sure she's a uh, warden. Undergrad? Or is this a certificate? I don't know. These fuckers always, I mean, not her, but I'm seeing these people always going Wharton and Harvard and you go and look. And, and she's got an MBA. There, there you go. And she went to Carolina. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Yeah. UNC. Anyway, um, I think this actually is a good point. Um, talking about uh, researching hmm. these projects is uh, getting deeper into the teams. 
understanding what their experience is, what they've done, what they've, you know, what they're capable of. Um, another great way to kind of addressing the fundamentals, of course, if a team's a non, it's a little tougher. You just have to take their word for it. Um, but as we kind of advance and mature even more as a space, this is one of the ways to do it. You want to know my other secret way of getting intelligence, Joe? Tell me. No, never mind. It's okay. You don't have. Uh, no, no. I was going to share some of my tricks. Yeah. Uh, job boards. Oh, that makes sense. I follow a ton of job boards. I look for projects, what they're hiring. Then I read the descriptions and I dive into what they're hiring those people to do what kind of projects they're planning for them to head up with. And that'll give you a lot of insights into unannounced strategies um, for projects and protocols and companies. Um, I, I, I spend a decent amount of time every week on job boards, uh, job telegram channels, that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really do that kind of, in, that kind of research. I was thinking more along like my strength is always penetrating organizations, like getting into the C-suite or getting into the board and That's getting what to the, <laughs> what's her name again, Aaron? Hold on, let's see. Now, now, now. There we go. Not, no, no. Let's um, not do that. No, no, no. But my thing is that, yeah, I, I mean, you took it misogynist. I was just trying to give you a way out. But um, <laughs> with a chuckle. But the idea is that, you know, you got to research these teams and you figure out who they're connected to. But then you ping them different ways. There's different ways to message these people and just kind of, you know, I don't want to give away all the secrets, but just kind of think creative about ways that maybe you message when you were younger and yeah. that nobody uses anymore. Yeah. And then you use channels like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, those old guys look at that stuff. So yeah. I'm um, going to do a thread on, uh, I'm going to do a thread on using job boards to get Intel. Yeah. But also you look at stuff like that, obviously the general searches, um, the people, you know, and then I always look at the people on LinkedIn to see how they present their backgrounds. Yeah. You know, is it fluff, you know, or is it real? And like the, the, the chief growth officer we just had up, uh, Murphy, you know, look, when I start seeing Wharton MBAs and Harvard MBAs all over the place, that tells me a couple of things. One, that there's money behind this project. Two, they're giving out stock options and stuff like that to get those people on board. So they're thinking long-term and they're building a real team. So it's not like a, a pump and dump. It's not like a fly by night. It's, you know, yeah. building for now they could still screw up. Don't get me wrong. A lot of times these guys are too systemic or too systemized for pivots and things like that in the early stage, but looks <laughs> like they already have a team of 50 people. So uh, <coughs> Absolutely. I don't know how many, I don't know if I put three Wharton MBAs in a room to do a startup, but no, I would definitely I hire them to run the shit for me when I Afterwards. wanted to stop looking at it. <laughs> Speaking of that, UPenn's Wharton School rose out an online certificate course on business in the metaverse. Uh, only cost you 4,500 bucks for six weeks for 50 I lectures. thought that was pretty cool. I, I When I saw that, I think you put it in the thread. I was like, all right. You know, I'm not saying that everybody has to go to this program to learn how to make money in the metaverse. But if you're coming in sort of not from a big tech ground or a big crypto yeah. background, um, you know, and I don't know how much the certification would help you get gigs, but it would definitely you would definitely learn all about it because these yeah. are not fly by night educational organizations. These are top tier. Yeah. And this is a great way to, on, to yeah. onboard, you know, any corporation that is concerned about missing out right? This is a great outlet for them. It's Wharton. It's got a good brand behind it. 
go and, and get your people signed up and uh, Wharton makes a nice chunk of cash and um, um, well, you get people on your team that have some insights. And look, if you're independent or you, you're, you're, you know, operating a space, I'm sure that's a continuing education credit too. So that yeah. means tax oh, deductible. You know, Niblet said he DM'd the Coursera CEO with a UX complaint and the CEO replied to him. That's cool. Wow. Nice. Very nice. Um, so anyway, that's cool. And then um, speaking of, oh, here's, I, I'm doing all kinds of seg segues here. So there is a um, massive online course MOOC. Where'd it go? Where'd it go, Joe? Another course. Uh, entrepreneurship in, oh, I'm never going to be able to find it, am I, today? Because Wasn't there a Seinfeld episode where Costanza was running around going MOOC? MOOC? Here it is. So uh, entrepreneurship in Web3 at Berkeley. Now, what was interesting was I was looking at who, who, who the people are that are doing the course, and Don Song is doing the course. And I'm like, where do, I, where do I know that name? Why do I know her? And I realized she was the founder of Oasis, the Oasis blockchain. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't heard a friggin' thing out of that blockchain in six months. Like, what the fuck's going on with them? So I went to take a look. And it looks like Oasis has pivoted a bit. Um, so they were a privacy-focused, high-performance blockchain. Now they are their entire website is about the Oasis Parcel SDK. Um, I haven't didn't dive deep into this, but my assumption is is they weren't getting enough uptake on uh, onboarding protocols to the chain, and so the approach they're taking is screw selling this as a blockchain let's sell this as an easy to use sdk that allows you to gain privacy for your existing kind of traditional applications SaaS applications by connecting to our sdk underneath the engine is oasis but um parcel as an sdk is the front marketing thing to get people engaged with it so you don't have to use the whole blockchain for everything. You can just use it for privacy protections, I guess. But I find it really interesting. I didn't see any announcements about them pivoting. Um, I didn't see anything about it. Now, this is what's interesting. Look at this customer list. Meta, mm -hmm. Genetica, Nebula, the Music Fund, Capitalized Crypto Safe Alliance. But um, you and I know these folks wow. in this world. We've talked yeah. about them before. But Meta AI coming on board is uh, very interesting. Um, because it makes sense if you're doing AI stuff and you're giving it to users um, to be able to provide a way to encrypt and secure and privatize the, the data and have a third party that can kind of certify it for you. But anyway, I just thought this was interesting because I was getting a big push uh, from the Oasis team to put them on the show, but they wouldn't put Don. Don wouldn't come on. So I was like, well, fuck it. I don't want to, I want to talk to the founder. I want to talk to the person that's, that's, you know, so is she not there anymore? No, I don't know if she's still here. Let me see. Well, can I ask a question? I, I Forgive me, but were we just talking about Oasis earlier on the show or were we doing that? You and we were talking about it before we came on. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. I just wanted to make sure we weren't. They don't. I'm not their, going. They don't. Oh, they don't list their team anymore. They don't even list the team. Not even under about us. No, oh, that you're in teams, Scott. Yeah, and and when you go to her profile, she doesn't have Oasis in her bio anymore. Yeah, she's probably running ahead of the. Uh, did they do a token raise? Uh, yeah, they had tokens, and they raised like they had like a three hundred or five hundred million dollar fund behind it. Yeah, well, we can see why it's being erased from her bio. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. 
It's too easy. It's just too easy, Rad. Just too easy. I'm gonna. I have a feeling I'm gonna be down a little uh, research hole here on this one because I, I, I'm really curious about how this transitioned uh, and why. Um, and look, I actually don't think this is a bad idea. Like, if you've got this privacy-focused blockchain, why not get companies connected to you first with this privacy SDK? and then expose them to all the capabilities of the blockchain. It seems to me like a pretty good way to connect people into what you're doing, especially if you can get big enterprise and corporate customers to come on board and actually be using the blockchain and not even really think about the fact that they're using the blockchain, right? Because then that opens the door to all kinds of models. So yeah. interesting. What, interesting. Well, also what's interesting is since they're servicing the Fortune 500, that means whatever they're doing has to be data compliant with whatever the regulator overseers yeah. think it's supposed to be so so that's going to be an i want to see how this could be the optimal solution is what i'm getting at you know enterprise be. grade privacy product that's still yeah. compliance um because you do need look you know the uh, the corporate espionage work at market the corporate intelligence market is huge I mean, you don't think every company's jockeying to see what the other companies are trying to do and running yep. teams at other people on the other companies to co-opt them and get dirt and find product and whatever. This is super important because you need to protect that stuff, not just from yeah. foreign adversaries, but from internal ones. That's right. So this could be pretty cool. Well, and it's interesting because they were previously doing all the traditional stuff, trying to get DeFi protocols on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So somebody, probably their investors said, Look, you're not going to get there this way. Let's try something else. But yeah, I, I think it's cool. Joe, I got to wrap it up. Yep. Uh, everybody, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining in. Niblets, Euphoric, Amen, Sean, thank you so much for your participation and your comments and your thoughts. Everyone, if you get a chance, please, please, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just to do a quick web search. You can log into your account. Boom, give us a review. It'll take you three minutes. It'll help us a lot. Um, subscribe, rate, review. I mean, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. Click the little bell on and make comments on YouTube. That's always greatly appreciated. Um, if you have thoughts or comments, B05Crypto on Twitter, Twitter or Telegram. B05Crypto, pound 2143 on Discord. Uh, I hope everyone has a great afternoon. Joe, take care. You too, buddy. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.